0: Thank you for tuning in to the Becker's Spine and Orthopedics podcast. In today's episode, we are highlighting a portion of our August 2021 Orthopedic Spine and ASC virtual event. Tune in to hear a selection from the session, The Most Exciting Tech Trends in Knee, Hip, and Spine Surgery today. If you would like to be a guest or recommend a guest for our Spine and Orthopedic podcast line, please email us at podcast at com. Thank you for being part of the Becker's Orthopedic Spine and ASC virtual event. I'm Laura Dierda, an editor of Becker's Healthcare, and today I'm privileged to moderate a discussion titled, Most Exciting Trends in Knee, Hip, and Spine Surgery Today. We've got a great panel here today, so let's dive right in. Dr. Bush, we'll start with you um, in talking about a little bit of knee and hip surgery as well. What technologies do you see as being revolutionary and and really kind of cutting edge um, in the knee and hip surgery space?
1: Um, It's it's gotta be robotics. Um, It's sort of almost ironic. I am in a uh, small community hospital, 90 bed hospital um, in central North Carolina and we actually got a robot about 10 years ago. Um, The company at that point um, was targeting small hospitals and the, um, the, the folks at the hospital, the, the, at that point in time, the management had the foresight to see the benefits of bringing um, robotic technology to a hospital. Um, uh, and actually for many, many reasons, I mean, provide a service, but also it would put the hospital on the map. And in, in a couple of years, I went from doing 20 or 30 joints a year to 140 joints. Um, it also allowed me to start doing partial joint um, arthroplasties successfully. That's something that some surgeons do. It seems to be almost uh, kind of a lucky thing. Even I've seen good surgeons not do, not have really good good outcomes with with partial joint replacements. And the statistics also show partial joints um, uh, would last five, maybe ten years if you're lucky. With robotics, they became equivalent to regular joints, and a large portion of the joint replacements I was performing were either uh, unicondylar or bicondylar um, uh, knee replacements. And again, that significantly affected my practice, affected um, the hospital as far as um, its reputation, and also helped a lot of folks, um, a lot of younger younger patients who otherwise would have gotten a total joint replacement ended up with a partial. And the technology, again, allowed me to, to perform the surgery with precision that I was not able to do by hand. So it, I think that that is probably the, um, number one technology that right now is coming down the road for or- orthopedic surgeons. I would say probably also spine surgery, but I would defer to Dr. Kim.
0: Got it, got it. Dr. Kim, are you seeing something similar on the spine side with uh, robotics? Or you know, are there other technologies that you're really um, looking forward to more on the forefront in the spine realm?
2: Well, Laura, it is exciting time to be a spine surgeon. There are so many exciting uh, development going on here. Robotics is certainly part of it and uh, navigation and the AR, VR, augmented reality and the virtual reality. They are all tools to achieve uh, what we are trying to do and which is basically a minimally invasive spine surgery. And uh, so uh, I'm sure a lot of people talked about robotics and AR, VR, uh, navigation. So uh, I like to talk about uh, the building blocks that can actually achieve uh, to do what I like to do, which is motion preservation and uh, minimally invasive spine surgery and uh, customization of the spine surgery.
0: Got it, got it. So um, more of the minimally invasive motion preservation. Um, you think about, you know, what's coming up in those fields. Um, are there any, obviously without naming specific vendors, but are there any types of um, technologies in, in you know, evolution of some of the disc replacements or other technologies that you really see as being key over the next five to 10 years or so.
2: Absolutely. And uh, you know, motion preservation is basically synonymous to uh, artificial disc replacement surgery. And uh, there are some other things, like inner spinous process, uh, instrumentation and whatnot. But to me, uh, to true motion preservation surgery Uh, you have to talk about artificial disc replacement surgery. And surgical artificial disc replacement surgery has been very popular. It has been very well received and many cases are done. In my personal practice, I do more surgical artificial disc replacement surgery than the fusion operation, and which is very well received by the patients. Nobody likes to have their neck fused and have a stiff neck. And then also surgical artificial disc replacement has a much, much less shorter recovery time and uh, less restriction following the operation. So it has been very good. I think it's gonna continuously do well. We are constantly expanding the indication for cervical artificial disc replacement surgery. Now, lumbar artificial disc replacement surgery is a different story. But at the beginning, lumbar artificial disc replacement surgery was introduced to the US in 2004. So it was way before cervical artificial disc replacement surgery. At the beginning, it was very popular, and a lot of people start doing it. And uh, pretty soon, we start running into the barrier, which is inadequate training, and uh, complication due to the inadequate training, and the need that you have to have excess uh, surgeon because a lot of artificial disc in the lumbar spine is being introduced to the through the anterior approach and uh, either retroperitoneal or transperitoneal uh, uh, approach, and uh, you know reimbursement. So now that's about to change. Now I understand there's a development that we can put a lumbar artificial disc replacement surgery, either lateral or anterior lateral approach. And that's gonna be a game changer because a lot of uh, spine surgeons are already proficient with a lateral and anterior lateral uh, approach. And uh, you don't need access surgeon to perform the surgery operation. And everything is done through a very small incision and it can be done as outpatient in the surgery center. And uh, again, insurance reimbursement is still going to be a barrier, but I think it's a great step forward.
0: Got it. Got it. That's really great to hear. And, you know, I'm thinking about the reimbursement side too, Dr. Bush. I I wanted to ask you this um, when you were talking about robotics and mentioning that, obviously you've been able to be successful with that. And the hospital has really found, you know, a lot of value in bringing the robot in. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking especially, you know, um, whether it's smaller ASCs or, you know, hospitals like yours that, that may be looking at this technology and thinking, you know, surgeons want it and I can see the value of it clinically, but I'm struggling to make the business case for it. Um, how do you kind of square the the reimbursement side, especially since I know robotics aren't necessarily reimbursed more just to use the technology?
1: Yeah, it, it actually is an issue. It's a, it's a big issue. I think reimbursement is um, unfortunately driving probably some decisions it shouldn't be driving. Um, the, uh, there, there, there was a significant change actually in, re- in reimbursement over the years we've had the robot. There was a significant decrease in reimbursements. And actually in the past year, I think there was a 5% cut in joint replacement surgery, just in general. So uh, it, that's hard to say because the, the robotics, um, I mean, one of the robots, the one that we had was a million dollars. So for, for a small hospital to come up with that kind of money, it, we actually did well because, again, it, the volume of the of the of the um, of the patients uh, picked up. We were we were drawing patients from um, a lot of different areas uh, who wanted to uh, first experience what was happening. But also, uh, as Dr. Kim had said, is your it's minimally invasive surgery compared, you know, partial knee compared to a total knee, and the majority of younger patients. Um, my statistics are sixty percent of patients who otherwise would have gotten a total joint. Uh, ended up with either an isolated uh, unicondylar or bicondylar any replacement with smaller incision, quicker recovery, um, less less m- m- morbidity from from it. Um, I, I, I don't really know the answer for the ASCs because I I, I am not working in one, but I I, I obviously. Uh, it is something that can be used. And um, at some point I, when I was talking to a, a local surgical center, I was wondering whether they would be be able to purchase one. And it never did happen. I ended up never getting privileges at that, at that facility, but cost was, uh, was, it was a factor. Um, I, one of the th- reasons I kind of jumped, I jumped aboard when it still was early. I think there were only two robots in North Carolina when we got our, when it got, our, I think we were the third or fourth um, was when I saw the technology and what it allowed, um, allowed me to do, an example of like a uh, isolated patellofemoral joint. I have never done one uh, prior to the robot, getting the robot, I, I never in my training and I, I never attempted one. I revised a whole bunch. I had folks come to me who had them done manually and the, and the results were not good. Um, so I never ventured into that. I would unfortunately do a full knee replacement if somebody even just had a uh, isolated PF problem. With the robot, I think I, I did about 20 PFs, and 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 years are patients are out already eight years, and they're doing fine. They're seeing me for other problems, and they're still happy with their knee. So that technology is is definitely going to ha- is going to work its way into pretty much any orthopedic setting. And I, and one thing for for physicians a little scary when I saw that technology, and the people who trained me were not physicians. People who trained me were uh, technicians who worked for the company, and mm-hmm um, I said a a PA could do this. You didn't, you didn't really need a doc. Um, the robot, again, it's, it's not, the robot doesn't do the surgery. It basically is, is robotically assisted. Um, but it, um, if I pushed too hard, it would push back. If I kept on pushing, it would make a noise and, and cut off. So I couldn't do something. I couldn't make a wrong cut. Mm -hmm. So as long as the preoperative plan was done correctly on the computer, as long as we took the time and made sure there our assessments were correct, that the, uh, that, the, the whole preoperative plan was correct on the computer. Once the dissection was performed and the, and the robotic arm was brought in, it was, it was basically foolproof. So that it's amazing technology. And again, as, as for surgeons, I think we need to make sure we stay on it because um, again, the people who trained me were not docs. The people who trained me were, were um, uh, sales reps and, or technicians who actually were also uh, promoting the product at that time.
0: Got it, got it. It's so interesting to hear kind of, you know, the, the development of the technology and how you're trained on it and great, great points. Well, Dr. Keem, Dr. Bush, thank you so much for being here today. This has been a really fantastic discussion. We've gone through so many different topics um, and I really look forward to connecting with you both again in the future.
2: Great. Well, thank you. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Dr. Bush. Thank you, sir.